John. There's John. John, where are you? There you are. Good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Washera Community Church. It is a beautiful day to praise the Lord. Amen. Every day is a beautiful day to praise the Lord. Amen. Well, welcome, welcome brothers and sisters, uh, campers, vacationers, southern uh, snow, uh, snowbirds, I guess they'd be called you all. Is that correct? Is that what you guys say? Y'all? Oh, y'all? It's just one, it's one syllable? Y'all? What a brilliant word that is. Uh, it's kind of like brethren. Uh, you know, y'all, y'all, sorry. It, it's directed to an individual as well as all of us. So what an efficient and economic use of words. Uh, the Southerners, they've got it figured out. So, well, brethren and y'all, uh, welcome. Our, we, we, we are here to, we exist to give meaning to, to uh, sorry. We exist to discover and develop disciples for Christ as well as to give creative and meaningful worship, as well as, there's three, to love the Lord our Father as well as each other, you all, fervently. So that's why we, or you all, exist, and that's why we're here today. So we hope it's just a wonderful uh, time together to do just exactly that. A couple of announcements we'd like to highlight. Here we go. There's a lot of paperwork up here. So uh, today is Benevolence Sunday. So if it's on your heart, there's baskets at the end of the service that if, uh, echoes for taking care of needs of uh, church family members, uh, various utilities, uh, food, transportation, things of that nature. If it's on your heart, please help and support those folks that need that at this time. Also, uh, community days. We're having a picnic. There's a picnic today out there. Um, John, is everything ready to go? Were you out there? Okay, it's ready? Okay, over medium, right? We got everything? Okay, good. Yeah. Burnt? Okay. <laughs> um, community day. So if, if you have time, 1130, a great time just to get together, relax, and enjoy the day, enjoy time together, fellowship and community. Um, hope you can take time to attend and enjoy each other's company. Also, benevolence, privilege days. Oh, baptism meetings. If uh, you'd like to, or if it's on your heart to uh, be baptized at the end of the month, there are classes going on now. That the uh, if you'd like to contact uh, Pastor Adam or myself or any of the elders or deacons for more information, please feel free to do that. It's uh, it's a very very uh, wonderful experience, uh, and we we certainly encourage it, especially in the summer. It's a great time to go to the lake and get uh, dunked. And, uh, of course, we're, we're always praying for our mission, mission family, mission, uh, Vania and Dennis. Uh, we still are uh, trying to collect various items for the librarian um, support uh, back by the coffee counter. And Vacation Bible School is coming up. There is a need for volunteers still, as well as I think they're still taking uh, registration time. If uh, you know any of your children, if you know somebody, that it's a great experience, a, a fun week of time here, as well as a time to learn. And did I cover everything here? Announcements for building praise. Which is, uh, there's so much going on here. Okay. Uh, oh, one more thing. In your bulletin, there's a little yellow um, uh, page, and the deacons and elders uh, are looking for, uh, we'd like to have a vote, I believe, in two weeks on this. If you'd like to read this, it's for three weeks? Three weeks. Thank you. Um, uh, if you'd like to read that, it's just an overview description of what we'd like your approval or 
disapproval or whatever your thoughts are, we'd just like to have you um, think about this, pray about it. And if you have questions, feel free to contact any of the deacons or elders, uh, myself included. And we'd love to hear what you have to say. Your feedback is so important since we are a church family. So, And with that, let's go to our scripture reading for today. We have it. Okay. Today's scripture reading is from Mark 9, 30 through 41. And yes, if you'd like to stand, if you're able to, please do. And I'll read it. If you'd like to read with me, please do. Mark 9, 30, 41. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum, where he was in the house. He asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet on the way they had argued about who was the greatest? Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. The child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Whoever is not against us is for us. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. This is the word of our Lord. Amen. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful day, a gift that you've given us, and pray that uh, uh, this is the best day of our lives, Lord, uh, that we are closer to you and continue to learn and grow about you, Father. Uh, pray for Pastor Adam and all who prepared for the uh, uh, just the message that we're about to hear. Thank you so much for their heart and their time and their desire to understand and share what, Father, you want us to know. Thank you and give us open hearts and uh, eyes that are open and hearts that are willing to listen and take take into um, just what you're trying to tell us, Father, today. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for this church family, and we pray this in your name. Amen. I was tempted to have the I was tempted to have them open up the windows on this side so the smell of the food would come through. But if it hasn't been said enough, um, 
we really in, invite you to stay after the service and be a part of community days. Um, we have plenty of food. You just migrate after you've had some coffee and cookies, migrate out to buy the pavilion. And it'll, it's some extended time for us to be together and, and get to know one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's a very, very valuable time. Some have asked me, what's the search team been doing? And the search team has been working, and this is what they've been working on. It's called a profile. It's a profile of our church, of our community, and it has lots of, lots of pictures and different things about our community, about our church, about our next pastor and how to apply. And uh, this is almost ready to go. It goes before our elders this week, and once approved, then it will be made public on our website, and you'll, everybody will be able to see it on the website and click right on it kind of thing. Um, but it will open up the doors um, for public posting of the position of pastor here. And so it's just a way of giving them kind of a picture of our church and our community. So the, the, the search team has been doing a lot of back and behind the scenes work and doing a great job on that. So that's what the search team's been doing. Um, we are in July, and we have been going through this series about looking at how Jesus made disciples. What did he do with his disciples? Um, he wanted them to be disciples, and we've had that kind of mantra. If we're going to make disciples, we need to be disciples of Christ. And so each month we've looked at specific practices that Jesus did. And so July is humble service and generous lifestyle. And this is the second uh, sermon in that. We're kind of going backwards in the book of Mark. Last week we were in Mark chapter 10. Now we're in Mark chapter 9, 30 through 41. But I do want to take us back to high school, back to high school, and you're at an athletic game, and, and there's cheerleaders there, okay? There's cheerleaders there. You got your finger ready? Got your finger up? You ready? And sometimes they would make you cheer or they invite you to cheer and say, we're number one. Are you ready? We're number one. We're number one. We're number one. Okay. Now, some of you are feeling like that's a little uncomfortable to do that in church. You know, kind of like, okay, so I'm going to make it even more uncomfortable. So I'm going to say, okay, let's say WCC is number one. Okay, ready? WCC is number one. WCC is number one. WCC is number one. Yeah, some of you are like, I'm not sure I'm going to say that. Well, just kind of hold on to that feeling, because I think we're going to see that in this passage of Scripture this morning. So we're in Mark chapter 9, and just to lead in to the passage that we're going to read is Jesus has went up on the mountain, and we call it the transfiguration, where he's seen in his glory. He takes Peter, James, and John up with him. While he's up on the mountain, there's Moses and Elijah meet him. They're coming down now off the mountain. And they're met by this man, this father, who has a son that has an evil spirit, a demon within him. While they were up on the mountain, this father brought his son to the nine other disciples that didn't go up on the mountain and said, can you do something kind of thing? They were not able to. They were not able to. So they bring him to Jesus, this son to Jesus. And Jesus, of course, drives out the demon, drives out the evil spirit from him, 
And, and, then, and then when they're privately alone, if you go to verse 28, it says, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we drive it out? And then if you look at verse 29, he replied, Jesus replied, this kind can only come out only by prayer. Some versions say prayer and fasting. This kind can come out only by prayer. I want to point this out. Jesus is pointing out, what did the disciples do? They abandoned prayer. Why couldn't we drive this out? They abandoned prayer because Jesus makes the point that, wait a minute, this kind only comes out by prayer. So they must not have been praying. They abandoned prayer. And what did they replace it with? They replaced it with pride. Why couldn't we drive this out? Now, I want you to kind of hold on to that also, because you can look at that individually, that sometimes we individually will abandon prayer, and what will sneak right in? Pride. That I can do this on my own. And I also want you to look at it always corporately as a church, that churches can sometimes abandon prayer, and then say, oh, we're going to do this under our own power and replace it with pride. So now we get to this passage of Scripture, verse 30, starting in verse 30, it says, they left that place and passed through Galilee, and Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. We said this last week. He pulls them aside. He says, you know, he says, you know, they've got all kinds of crowds around them. He wants them to hear specifically what he's going to say Next, and it's for their ears. And so he says, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. This is, I think, the second time that this is mentioned about his death and resurrection. This, the, the little less information that's given here, but it would be a shock to hear this if someone says they're going to die. And then verse 32, it says, but they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask about it. They afraid to ask about it. He uses the term son of man. Mark will use that term about 14 times in his gospel. The, the main place to go when you talk about that term son of man is in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7 there is the term, the Son of Man, and I'm going to read these verses 13 and 14, but listen to how the Son of Man is described in Daniel. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, so another word for Father God, term for Father God, and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when you read Daniel and you read about the Son of Man, it's a very triumphant one. But here is Jesus talking about the Son of Man, referring to himself, and it doesn't sound so triumphant. It sounds more suffering. And so this is something for them to learn and something for us to learn too, that this is a two-stage process. That the first time that Jesus comes, 
it is signified by suffering, by a cross. The second time he comes, it will be signified by triumph. It'll be signified by triumph. So another way of saying it, the first time he comes, he's Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. The second time he comes, he's Daniel 7, and many other passages in the book of Revelation that's there. But what we tend to do is we tend to focus on one more than the other. That's what we do. We tend to focus on one more than the other. And so, yeah, wow, it would be great to just focus on the triumphal Jesus kind of thing, but he was also as a suffering servant. Let me give you another example of that. We say God is love. We say God is love. But then we also say God is just. Which is he? Both. Good. He's both. Yeah. Actually, he's all of his attributes all the time, all at the same time kind of thing. But lots of times we'll sit with, like, like on your refrigerator, if you have refrigerator magnets on there, if you have, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I could probably find one on there that it, it's all about God is love or something that leans that way. I'm probably not going to find a refrigerator magnet on your refrigerator that says God is just, you know, it's probably not because we lean that way. The problem is when we lean too much one way or the other. So if we lean heavily on God is love, and when you sin, what should you do? You should confess your sin. But if you lean too much on that way, oh, that's just a little boo-boo, Brenda. Don't worry about it. He loves you, and you're so good anyways. You know, I think you did enough good that it will kind of cover, and he's really glad to have you on the team kind of thing. So, yeah, see, I went, I'm, I'm way over here. Or you could lean the other way and say, God is just, and someone does something, and like, there's no grace. You're out of here. Done. Yeah, don't even think about it, kind of thing. So God, we have to remember that God is all of that, all at the same time. All at the same time. So they're dealing with this. They're under, trying to understand what he's talking about, about a Messiah who would suffer the Son of Man. So verse 33 33 and 34, uh, when they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest, who was the greatest. Now, this could be Peter's house because it's a definite article, the house, the only house that we know that Jesus went into in Capernaum was Peter's house. So it could be that he was back at Peter's house. And even though the disciples don't answer Jesus' question, what were you arguing about on the road? They don't answer. They keep quiet. Jesus proceeds to answer their arguing. He proceeds to give them the answer to what they were arguing about on the road. So what does this tell you about Jesus? What is Jesus? So, so here we come back again. See, what were the disciples saying, arguing about on the road? They were each arguing, I'm number one. I'm number one. I'm number one, kind of thing. They felt a little uncomfortable about it. But what does this tell us about Jesus? That God knows. God knows our thoughts. God knows our attitudes. Sometimes that can be looked at as a positive or a negative in life. But it always should be a positive, even if you're in the wrong place, thinking-wise, is that he knows. And that you can go to this God who knows everything that you're walking through. Okay, 
So we continue on in the passage, sitting down, verse 35, sitting down, sitting down as a sign of authority. The rabbis during that day, when they would sit down, now they're going to teach. We, we've got it backwards. You know, the guy in authority is supposed to be standing up and dressed a certain way and all that kind of stuff. They, they would sit down, sat down, called the 12 and has said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Now I put up there, not just the very last, but also and. That's the most important word, that conjunction. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you're not to be to be first. You have to be last, and we usually think of like last in line. That's what we usually think. Okay, so last in line. But then he says, and while you're last in line, yeah, be serving everybody. So you're not just last in line. You are also taking that opportunity to serve all those that are around you. And what he is helping them to understand and what we need to understand in our day also is that God's system and the world's system are very different. They are very, very different. We had that phrase, you know, uh, we march to the beat of a different drummer, a whole different drummer. And he has to help them to understand that in their system, in their day, yeah, to be, to be great was to have the great clothes. To be great was to sit at the head of the table. To be great was to be seen by others. And, and, and we'll talk about this more next week. It, those were the things to be great. But Jesus is saying, no, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, no, get to the end of the line. But as you're at, and while you're at the end of the line, start serving people. Start serving people. This brings up a question I want us to ponder, and we'll come back to it. A question to ponder. Am I selfless or selfish? If I'm selfless, I'm following God's system. If I'm selfish, I'm following the world system. Again, you can think of that individually yourself, or we can think of it corporately as a church. Verse 36 and 37 now. He took a little child and had him stand among them. And taking him into his arms, he said, to, he said to them, let me stop right there. Usually this is what happens in the Gospels. When Jesus gives a major teaching, he will follow it up with a physical example. And that's what he's doing here. So the major teaching was, if anyone wants to be first, he must be very last and servant of all. That's the major teaching. He follows it up with a physical example. So he takes this child. Now, this is a no-name child. We don't know what the name of the child is. If he is in Peter's house, it could be maybe one of Peter's children. We don't know that. But a no-name child, mostly dependent toddler. It says that the child can stand, but also the child is still, you're still able to take it up in your arms. So you think of like a toddler uh, in, in that sense. The obvious observation is that this child needs help. That's the obvious observation. This child in this state, at this stage of their development, they need more service from you than they give to you. Now, I know our children always give us love and joy and all that kind of stuff and everything, but in essence of what this child can do at this stage in their development, we need to think for them at times. We need to act for them at times. We need to step in for them at times. There's no doubt that this little one needs service. I saw this at the fireworks. I went with the family to the fireworks uh, last Saturday. 
and, uh, and they had a bunch of kids and everything, and there was a little one. I mean, like I think would describe what's in this passage of Scripture, a little one. And that little one got out of the zone of safety, okay, for mom. Got out of the zone of safety and, and made it out of the zone like that. And I mean, man, that mom, just like, I mean, I'm glad I wasn't in the way. I, I, man, it, she just blown me right over because she was on a mission. Because she had to serve that little one that was there. Now, so that kind of paints the picture of it. Then he says, he takes this one uh, among them, taking this into his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children. So like this little one is in need of being served. In, the, in my name, now that's an important phrase welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. The word for welcome means receives. Uh, another way of saying it is to take by the hand. To take by the hand. And as I said, this in my name is a key phrase there. That, that it's in the name of Jesus. It, it's, it's, that's the motivation that is there. But if I go back through that verse 37 and put it takes by the hand instead of welcomes, Whoever takes by the hand one of these little children who needs to be served in my name, motivation is Jesus, welcomes me, takes by the hand me. And whoever welcomes me, takes me by the hand, does not take by the hand me, but the one who sent me. So what Jesus is saying there is if if we see someone who is in need, obviously in need, and we're doing this in the name of Jesus, and we take them by the hand, and we serve them, we help them, you are taking the hand of Jesus. You're taking the hand of Jesus. You're walking hand in hand with Jesus, what Jesus wants you to do. You have been saved to serve. And you're not only taking the hand of Jesus, but he's saying, you're taking the hand of the one who sent me. The one who sent me. And I tell you, when you take them by the hand, I mean, there's a connection that happens there. We are together on this. That's what Jesus is trying to stress to his disciples. In the name, we have an opportunity to serve others. And as we've been saying, these three M's, we have an opportunity in the name of Jesus to tell them the message. And our message is Jesus. And we have an opportunity to do that with the motivation of love because he first loved us. And we have the opportunity to take them by the hand and say, our method is discipleship, is to walk alongside of one another and grow in Christ together. Okay, verse 38. Now this is John's, not his finest hour. Teacher said John, John the disciple, we saw a man driving out a demon in your name. There's that phrase. And we told him to stop because he was not one of us. So we went from an unnamed child now to an unnamed man. But this unnamed man is doing something they couldn't do just recently. So if you go back to verse 18, when the father is describing the situation to Jesus about his son, whenever it seizes him, it throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes at the teeth. He becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. 
So he is doing, this unnamed man, in the name of Jesus, is doing something they couldn't do just recently. And what do they do? Where do they turn to? He was not one of us. He was not one of us, and they resort to criticize. They resort to criticize this one who is doing something in the name of Jesus. Now, that's a key phrase again. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, he was doing this. Verse 39, it says, don't stop him. Jesus said, no one who does a miracle in my name can the next moment say anything bad about me for whoever is not against us is for us. I put my translation. I'm, I'm assuming when, the, when John said, yeah, we stopped him, that Jesus went, what? That Jesus went, oh. <clears throat> you know, <laughs> yeah, wait a guys, come on. That's my translation, okay? Who's in charge of the miracle that's done in his name? If there's a miracle that is done, who's in charge of that miracle? God is in charge. Jesus is in charge. And he's even in charge of the words that come after the miracle. I always makes me think of when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, yep, yep. But you didn't even get those words. Those words were given to you. Yeah, Jesus is in charge of that. I, I fear that what's happened here is the disciples think of us four and no more and shut the door. That's what they've done. Us four and no more and shut the door. Don't keep people new in the new bracket very long. Um, and this is true in many churches. They'll have a, it's not a written rule, but it's kind of an unwritten rule. If somebody new comes into the church, you're kind of in that new bracket for at least five years. Yeah, at least five years. And then we'll, we'll kind of debate after that if, you, if you've migrated out of this new bracket. And I would just say to you, oh, I zipped ahead, didn't I? Oh, which way am I going? Don't keep people in the new bracket very long. When people walk through the doors of the church and they're here two or three times, they've made a decision to come and worship here with this body of believers. Don't call them new anymore. No. Do like the children. I'd find out what their name is. I'd ask them to come over and join us in our, in our row and sit alongside of them. So they're not new anymore. But here's the disciples saying, we stop them because they're not one of us. Does this keep moving and I'm not touching it? There we go. Here's a point here. We need to be ready to welcome those who love God. If there is a church out there that is preaching from the Word of God, if there is a church out there that is preaching from the Word of God and the people are striving to live according to the Word of God, the people who love God will search out that church. They will find that church. They will do that. They, they won't come because of the music. They won't come because of the people. They won't come because of the events. They are coming. Sole reason is because the word of God is being preached and people are striving to live by it. So we need to be ready to welcome those people. We also need to be welcome, welcome those who are coming 
who will come to love God. Because there will be people who will come through the doors of the church, and they will become because of the music, and they will come because of the people, and they will come because of brats and burgers and all this time, these events that we do. And as they come, may they hear the word of God, and our prayer would be that they would come to love God that their eyes would be open and they would turn in repentance toward him and say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. So we need to be ready to welcome them. Um, I always try to find some similar situations and I always like saying flip to Philippians. Flip to Philippians. And there's a similar situation here that Paul is dealing with uh, as he is in prison. In chapter 1, Starting at verse 15. Chapter 1, starting at verse 15. When he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. There's some people that are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. Envy and rivalry against him for who Paul is. But others out of goodwill. So there are others that are preaching out of goodwill. The latter, the one that does it out of goodwill, do so in love, knowing that I am put here in defense of the gospel. So I stop right there. They, they preach, they look at Paul who's in prison and they look at him positively. They, they look at it, look at Paul. Look at Paul. Paul's even went to prison for standing up for Christ. Paul's went into prison and, and he's even in prison. He is sharing his faith with the, soul, with, the, with the guards that are around him. And so they look at Paul in a very positive light. He goes on to say, the former, so the ones that preach out of envy and rivalry, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So Paul is saying, there's others that are out there preaching Christ, but they don't have a high value of me. And actually, they're looking, they're looking down on me and going, well, see where that got him. He's in prison. And we're kind of a little better than Paul, you know, because we're not in prison kind of thing. So, so there's, a, there's that going on, but look at how Paul resolves this. Verse 18, but what does it matter? Because he's pointing back at himself and says, what does it matter? What does it matter what they think of me? He goes on to say the important thing is that every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Christ is preached. That's the most important thing. They can, they can throw mud at me, but if they're holding up Christ, Paul is saying, yay, yay. And then he ends it with, and because of this, I will rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice that Jesus' name is being lifted up. Now, um, I think I'm to that next slide now that it wanted to go to. I want to give you another mirrored event of this. This time I want to take you to the Old Testament, um, to ch Numbers chapter 11. We're going to see this played out again in a whole different era and time. The setting for this is that the Israelites have been released by God from the Egyptians. They're under the direction of Moses. Let my people go, kind of thing. They have walked through the Red Sea as if on dry ground. They have received manna from heaven. 
God providing their food. They have received water from the rock. They have this cloud and pillar that are guiding them wherever they go kind of thing. But they are still complaining. You know why they're complaining? What do they want? Meat. We're going to eat meat. Meat. That's what they want. And they are so complaining about this that they're to the point of saying to God and to Moses, saying, you know, well, at least back in Egypt we had meat. It had been better if we'd have stayed back in Egypt so we could have some more meat. That's where they were at. Now look in verse 10 of Moses and God's uh, attitude at this point. Moses heard the people of every family wailing each at the entrance of his tent, and the Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. So God was mad, and, and Moses was frustrated. He was so frustrated, he's like, he's going to throw in the towel. He's going to throw in the towel. You, God, I don't want to lead these people anymore, you know? I'm just throwing in the towel, you know? And so God comes in in verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of the Israelite elders whom you know are leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting and they may stand there with you. And I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. And they will help you carry out the burden of the people so that you will not carry it anymore. So God says, okay, bring together 70 guys, 70 trusted guys, 70 uh, godly men into this tent and I'm going to help you. I'm going to take the spirit that I've put upon you to lead this people, and I'm going to put it upon them so now you're not leading them alone. Okay? Verse 18, tell the people, consecrate them in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. Ooh. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If we only had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. But And you will not eat it just for one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Yeah. Meat again? Because you were rejected, because you have rejected the Lord among you and have weighed, wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Kind of reminded me of the, you know, the kid that gets the job at the pizza place. And you get all the free pizza you want. Yeah, and then he comes home after a month and says, Mom, what's for dinner? And she says, pizza. And he goes, Ugh. Yeah, they're going to have pizza coming out of their, I mean, meat coming out of their ears kind of thing. Verse 21. Now, here's a statement that Moses probably wishes he could take back. Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. Now, that's not counting the men, women and children. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough for if all the fish of the sea were caught by them? Uh-oh, what did Moses do? He abandoned prayer and he went to pride. Because he thought, okay, if this is going to happen, where is it going to have to come from? From me. It's going to bankrupt us. We're going to have to slaughter every animal possible. We're going to have to take every fish out of the sea to do this. He had forgotten who was he talking to. The one that was providing manna every single day from heaven. He probably wishes he could have taken this back. Verse 23, 
Then the Lord said to, answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Do you know what that means? Like he's, he's promised something, he's going to reach down, but his arm is too short that he can't fulfill what he said he was going to do. Is the, the Lord's arm too short? Every time I see that, I think I remember, I think of dinosaurs and the Tyrannosaurus Rex or whatever, and his arms are really, you know, it's really short kind of thing. Is the Lord's arms too short? You will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. We limit what God can do because we think of our limited resources. We limit what God can do because we think of our limited resources. Verse 24, so Moses went told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together the 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. And then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to them and he took the spirit with was on him, and he put the Spirit on the 70 elders. When the, the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. So God fulfilled that, got the 70 ready. Now, here's where it mirrors what we're reading in the New Testament. However, two men whose name were Eldad and Medad. So there's a couple names to write down for grandchildren and children in the future. Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. So they weren't at the tent. They remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders. So they were one of the 70, the 70 that were trusted godly men and everything. They were listed among them, but they did not go to the tent. They didn't go to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. So even though they weren't at the tent, and they were still back at the camp, when the Spirit of God landed on the 70, it also landed on them back in the camp. Okay, verse 27. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Now, what we're going to see of what Joshua says next, you can kind of deduct that this was a criticism. Moses, there's two guys back in the camp. They're prophesying. They aren't here with us. They're not of us. They're supposed to be at the tent. They weren't. They're at the camp. Pastor, I've got something to tell you. Mm, I probably shouldn't have said that. I have heard that for 38 years. So. Joshua, probably not his highest time. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, grown up with Moses, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. You see the mirror? See the mirror? John and the disciples said, "We these people were not of us, driving out these demons, doing it in your name. They were not of us. We stopped them. What, is, what does Joshua want Moses to do? Stop them. Stop them. But Moses replied, <laughs> Moses replied, what? Joshua, how long have you been with me? No, wait. Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of the Israelites returned to the camp. See how it mirrors it? Moses is a picture of Jesus 
in the Old Testament. Now, let me give just a couple notes and then we'll hit verse 41. Beware of criticizing those who are serving those you should be serving. Don't jump directly to criticism. Beware of criticizing those who are serving those you should be serving. In our world today, it's not three strikes and you're out. It's one. We live in a world where just somebody says just the wrong word and whoop. We need to we need to wait, and we need to rely on this phrase in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, because in Jesus' name it provides discernment. It provides for us time to step back and saying, "Are they doing this in Jesus' name? Are they not taking the credit for it, but giving all the glory to God, even though they're not in our camp and they're not in our group?" Kind of thing. Are they giving glory to God? It gives us discernment. It also gives a proper. It helps us to see proper motivation. Are they doing it for themselves? Are they doing it to to draw attention to themselves? Or is it being done because they want God glorified? And so I'm just begging you, don't jump straight to criticism. Pause. Use some discernment. Use some biblical discernment. Say, even though they're not of us, they're doing it in Jesus' name. I don't want to go to Jesus and say, stop them! When he'll turn around and say, what? Verse 41, he ends it this way. I tell you the truth. Now, when he says that phrase, it's the same phrase he uses on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, they said this, but I tell you the truth. And he does that over and over and over again. I tell you the truth. Anyone, anyone, named or unnamed, named or unnamed, anyone who gives you, so someone who is serving you, someone who is serving you, a cup of water. So now, look what he did. He went from uh, casting out demons to a cup of water. And he put them on the same plane. He put them equal. He put them equal. Yeah, casting out demons. Ooh, cup of water. And we would kind of go like, oh, well, you know, at least he could do that. And Jesus puts them on the same level, this service in his name. In his name, because it goes on to say, gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ. And he's talking to the disciples here. The cup of water is going to one of the disciples. It's being it's aiding the person who is sharing the message of Jesus Christ will certainly not lose his reward. So if you go back, this one that you made stop because they were casting out demons. If it was truly in my name, he will not lose his reward. Just as someone who just gives you a cup of water in his name will not lose his reward. So, yeah, Aaron, come on up. I know I'm running late. Nothing gets by God's sight. Nothing. So even a cup of water, even a simple act of service to the person that is around you does not get out of the sight of God. Secondly, second, the second coming again is the triumphal one, the white horse. The first coming is the suffering one, the cross. The gap between, and here's the whole point of the sermon, the gap between the two is to serve him in his name. That's, we were saved to serve. 
to serve him in his name. And I'll come back to this again. What system am I operating under? Am I under, operating under the world system where I am selfish? Or am I operating under God's system that I am selfless? Selfless. I put all these application points down here of, of different ways that you can serve. Different ways that you can serve in the church, but also in, in, in your own circle that you have. It doesn't have to be just through the church, but to realize that I've been saved to serve. And one last thing. If I am under the world system, if I'm under the world system, I will limit God. That's number one. I will limit what God can do. Number two, if I'm in the wor- operating under the world system of being selfish, I will jump to criticism. I'll jump right to criticism. And the third one, if I'm under the world system selfishly, I will abandon prayer and I'll replace it with pride. And I pray that we don't do that. I pray that we would continue to learn in in a great way that God's system is different than our system and that we as followers of Jesus Christ would embrace God's system. You're saved to serve. You're saved to serve. Would you stand? Let's close in prayer and then we will have a song and then there's coffee and cookies out in the foyer and then feel free to please migrate out to the pavilion and spend some extra time together. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these passages of Scripture. Thank you for what you are walking uh, through with your disciples. And at times, you are correcting them. You are um, saying, no, that wasn't the right thing to do. And you are setting uh, up this system that they can understand, but also then adopt into their own lives, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to be individuals, and a church, Lord, that are described as selfless rather than selfish. May we not limit you, God. Your arm is not too short. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Father, we praise your name. We are so grateful for your love and your mercy. We're grateful for this time together of worship and your felt presence. Thank you, Father. Be with us as we go. May the presence of of your spirit be upon us throughout the remainder of this day. And we are so grateful for the food that's provided. We ask you to bless it and bless us together. In Jesus' precious name.